The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all Scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In this episode, we continue our study of the story of Jacob and Esau. In the previous episode, we concluded with what amounts to a cliffhanger. We left off as Rebekah gave Jacob instructions to send him to Isaac with meat prepared from the kid goats taken from the flock. 
Rebekah concludes that by doing so, Jacob will receive the blessing from Isaac. Rebekah does not instruct Jacob to pretend to be Esau. That idea comes later after Jacob voices his concern that Isaac will not receive and bless him due to what are described as some superficial differences between the brothers. Further, Jacob tells Rebekah that he is worried that when and if Isaac notices the cosmetic differences, that Jacob will receive a curse and not a blessing. Upon making this declaration, Rebekah responds with an insightful comment in verse 13. Quote, and his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them. Unquote. In reading this comment, the logical side of my mind immediately begins asking questions. Why does Rebecca imagine that if Isaac pronounces a curse, that she can somehow change that curse into a blessing? If she can change it so easily, then why not simply change Isaac's mind regarding his intended blessing to Esau? She is obviously aware that it is forthcoming. She also knows that God has promised and foretold that God favors Jacob as the sibling whom God has chosen to receive blessing and grace. So if she can change a curse into a blessing, then what better time to confront Isaac and remind him or inform him of God's revelation to her while the twins were battling inside her womb. More importantly, we need to ask regarding this or any other blessing, whether a blessing can or will happen unless it is God's will. The way we read this story, it is almost as if Isaac has some personal magic, which once he pronounces the blessing, no one, not even God has the power to overrule him. But if God is supreme in authority, this is not the case. We know from the full revelation of God that no man's wish, prayer, desire, or blessing can or will come to pass unless that wish, prayer, desire, or blessing is in accordance with God's will and purpose. Thus, from a complete theological standpoint, According to the complete counsel of God's word, it was really not going to matter what Isaac or Rebekah said or did. God was ultimately going to have his will achieved. Neither Isaac nor Rebekah had it within their power to overrule or deny God. Now, some will argue that the statement by Rebekah of having Jacob's potential curse against him is a euphemism simply meant to say, don't worry about it, I'll take care of the repercussions. But this is just the point. Jacob was worried about it. Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob all took the blessing as serious. If it wasn't, then why would they assume that someone who could pronounce a blessing could not pronounce a curse, whether it be Isaac or God? If the curse wasn't serious then why is a blessing? As we hold that thought, we read verses 14 through 17. In these verses, Jacob does as he is told and obtains the kid goats from the flock. 
Rebecca then proceeds to prepare the kid goats as savory meat the way Isaac likes it. Then, in verse 15, Rebecca takes quote-unquote goodly raiment belonging to Esau, which she apparently kept in her tent, and put them on Jacob. Further, Rebekah takes the skins of the goats and places a set on his hands, as well as the smooth of his neck. With these things done, Rebekah provides the savory meat to Jacob and sends him to Isaac for the blessing. Now, the common interpretation is that all of these actions on the part of Rebekah and Jacob are with the idea to deceive Isaac into believing that Jacob is Esau, so that Isaac will give Jacob the blessing intended for Esau. Here, I will not presume to necessarily disagree and say that those intentions and motives did not exist, but whether they existed or not, intentionally or otherwise, I believe that these ongoing actions by our players constitute types casting a larger substance. An interesting statement on verse 15 is given commentary worth noting in the Aramaic Targums as follows, quote, And Rivka took the pleasant vestments of Esau, her elder son, which had formerly been Adam's, but which that day Esau had not worn. But they remained with her in the house, and with them she dressed Jacob, her younger son, unquote. As we trace down and study the various commentaries, some sources suggest that the quote-unquote pleasant vestments of Esau in question are none other than the coat of skin provided to Adam by God when Adam and Eve sinned and found themselves naked. Initially, Adam and Eve clothed themselves with leaves, but when God encountered them, God himself slew an animal. God then provided the skin of that animal to Adam and his wife as a covering for their nakedness, which we know to be a type of sin. Continuing the investigation, sources suggest that Adam's skin was handed down until it found its way to Noah. Ham is believed to have later stolen that skin from Noah and given it to his son Cush, who gave it to Nimrod. Much later, it is said that during Esau's exhaustive hunt episode preceding his relinquishment of his birthright, that Esau encountered Nimrod, and after Nimrod was slain, took the skin in Nimrod's possession, later referred to in our story as the quote-unquote pleasant vestments. Whether this connection is an apocryphal account or not, I will leave to the listener to decide. With or without it, the fact remains that even according to the traditional statements given in the Bible, Rebekah placed the skins of the kid goats on Jacob's hands and neck prior to sending him to Isaac. This by itself would be enough to constitute a fairly clear type. In this case, I would suggest that so far what we see is God's sovereign mercy to bestow his blessing of grace provision, and sustenance to those whom he wills. God has up to now been looking for those who, by his perfect counsel, he will separate from the world, i.e. the outcalled ones, to himself. 
There exists a dichotomy and division of mankind throughout time. There are those who will at some point, by God's grace, be drawn, repent, turn from their own way, and follow God by faith and trust, and there are those who will remain in rebellion. This dichotomy of types finds its quintessential embodiment in these two personalities, Jacob and Esau. Throughout time, Esau is the worldly, earthly, carnal rebel who does not esteem or care about the things of God. Instead, he disdains, denies, and rebels against God and his will at every step. Esau cares about the flesh, the here and now, and not about the promises made by God who does not exist. During the birthright incident, Esau makes it clear that the blessings, provision, faithfulness, and trustworthiness of God are of no use to him, because like any atheist, if God does not exist, then it follows that all we have is what we can grab here today with our own wits and ability. Thus, a bowl of soup, some bread, and a drink are more important than one's faith in God. Later, despite knowing the habits of the Canaanites as well as the repercussions of marrying one, Esau marries not one, but two. Jacob is Esau's twin brother. The two are related to one another in the same way that the old man and the new man share commonalities. Esau is the old man. The old nature is rough and earthly. He loves the field and the things of this world. He is hairy like an animal in his outward appearance, just as the old nature demonstrates itself likewise. Jacob is also a man. He is of the same clay as Esau, but Jacob is drawn to desire the things of God. Jacob is smooth in his appearance, just as the inner man, the new nature, reflects the image of God, its creator. Jacob is not perfect any more than any believer is perfect. Jacob stumbles and falls, just as does every believer. He is drawn to seek God's will and God's blessing, but does not always go about securing God's will, God's way, any more than any other believer. Nevertheless, unlike Esau, he is drawn to yearn for the things of God. Accordingly, Jacob is seen throughout his life as living inside tents. While this may seem rather a superficial comment, the fact that Jacob dwells in tents reminds us of the substance found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Quote, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise." For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Unquote. 
This commentary by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit reminds us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had the common characteristic of understanding and discernment that they were pilgrims on this earth. Thus, each lived in tabernacles or tents, which at any moment could be moved as they followed God's lead. This is Jacob's distinction from Esau, who lived in the field, the type of the world and its pleasures. Jacob is drawn to value the blessing because it came from God, whom he had faith in. Thus, in the end, Jacob represents those who are God's elect by God's grace through faith in God. As we look at these and the remaining cast of characters and compare the types to any potential substance, let us bear in mind that as in every case, whenever God uses people as his vessels, every person being used, save Jesus, is imperfect. Still, with every imperfection which we possess, God is still able to achieve His purpose and refine our imperfections to His glory by His grace and mercy. With this disclaimer having been made, as we move forward in our review of the remaining players, we find Rebecca. Rebecca seems best to represent the role of Jesus, the Messiah, in our story. In the beginning, she is the agent of creation of the two sons, Esau and Jacob, just as Christ, the Word, according to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, is the creator of this world and all things. Quote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made." Unquote. Originally, at conception, Esau and Jacob would have been produced from one fertilized egg, i.e. one lump of clay. That egg would later be divided into two embryos which formed Esau and Jacob. Just so, God created one man, Adam, who was later divided to create Eve. The two fell into sin and separation at which point from thereafter, until Jesus creates all things new, all mankind suffers the ravages of sin. From Adam and Eve's sin until recreation, there is war between God and Satan, rebellion and repentance, the old nature and the new nature, the old man and the new man, the flesh and the spirit, Esau and Jacob. So from the beginning, Jacob struggles with Esau even in the womb. This prenatal war is the type of the substance which is the war between the flesh and the spirit. Paul comments on this duality of natures in Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25. Quote, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. 
Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin, unquote. Consequently, we see that Rebekah prefers Jacob as the type of those who are ultimately drawn by the Father to her in obedience to her by God's grace. Esau is the type of those who, despite the abundant demonstrations and revelations of God, are not called to receive the blessings which God would bestow upon his chosen. We later see Rebekah's just repulsion of Esau, who continues to entangle himself with the things of this world. Esau is unable to separate himself from the world. Esau marries into the heart of idolatry and worldliness by marrying his two Hittite wives. These wives cause Esau to be further separated from Isaac and Rebekah, as well as causing Isaac and Rebekah grief. Isaac represents in our story the promise of blessing. He is a conduit. It is God who holds the actual power and authority of blessing. In this case, the blessing is the inheritance of God's favor, being God's child, and ultimately the hope of heaven and eternal life. God gave it to Abraham by faith. Abraham passed it on to Isaac, and God ratified it by Isaac's faith. Now Isaac stands ready to pass it on, but the question is, whom will obtain it, and more importantly, why? Here, as we look at the dynamic interplay between Isaac, Esau, Jacob, Rebekah, and God, we see a microcosm type of God's will for salvation itself. By Esau's reckoning, as well as that of the world, Esau can and should obtain the promise from Isaac by tradition. Being the firstborn in the flesh is all that matters the world would likely take the position of Isaac. Isaac, like the world, loves Esau's game, his meat, and the worldly goods that Esau brings. Therefore, it is the world's opinion, like Isaac, that God's blessing, the ability to please God, gain heaven, and eternal life, is based on Esau's works, despite the heart which is where God looks. Even more tragically, Esau really doesn't believe in God, his promises, heaven, or eternity. Instead, he disdains them. 
Like the world, Esau does not value or believe in the promise until it is too late. If Esau, like the world, talks about going to heaven, it is only in some generic sense that everyone will go there and be rewarded based upon their good works outweighing their bad. In the end, when it comes time to actually bestow the blessing, God breaks through the tradition and cuts to the heart. When everything is boiled down, what Isaac did and how he did it was not by accident. Paul concludes in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 20 via the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that all that was done was done by faith. Quote, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come, unquote. This brings us to the center and source. There we have God, who is in sovereign control of all things, who repeatedly throughout his word emphasizes that he justifies those who are drawn to respond by his call by faith. Simultaneously, God rejects the proud, the rebellious, those who attempt to justify themselves according to their own righteousness. This brings us back to our unfolding story. When the appointed time has come for God to ratify his blessing upon his chosen, we find out that the appointed time is the 14th of Nisan. It is that same time when the type will come full circle some many hundreds of years later when the substance of the Passover, Nisan the 14th, is at hand. As God's door to blessing opens, we find Esau and Jacob poised to enter. Like the world of the unregenerate, Esau will go out to the field, i.e. the world, and will attempt to gather of dead works which the world has an appetite for. He will bring them and attempt to receive God's blessing, i.e. eternal life, but will find himself rejected and disappointed. Meanwhile, with the intercession from the Holy Spirit, God's elect, like Jacob, will be drawn to hear the call to receive the blessing from God. Unlike Esau, God's elect have their heart softened by grace through the work of the Holy Spirit to respond to God's blessing. But Jacob, like all men, do not have the right of inheritance. Like Jacob, being pious and reverent is not enough. All our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. If indeed we have come to the breaking point of repentance, then we, like Jacob, by God's grace, see correctly as does God that we are cut off and separated from God by our sin. If we approach God on our own merits, works, or righteousness, God will, like Isaac, discover our deception and we have a just curse upon ourselves, and not a blessing. Esau and Jacob are the type of all mankind in the sense that they are brothers and children of one father, Isaac, who is in this sense the type of God. Both brothers are in the world and have sin and separation in their lives. Like the brothers, throughout time, there are those who will, like Esau, disdain the promise of eternal life and remain in rebellion against God. At the same time, 
there are those like Jacob who will be drawn to respond to God's grace and through his finished work will receive the inheritance of eternal life. The key is not the status, merit, or worthiness of mankind. Rather, the key is the status, merit, worthiness of the one who freely imputes his image to cover our own. As the story of Jacob and Esau continues, we wait patiently to see how this drama will depict further shadows and types pointing to the substance which is Jesus. For the time being, this concludes this episode. Please join me again for part five. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Bye.